0: Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. We're actually going to be in John chapter 8, but we're going to get a running start by looking at John chapter 1. And um, before we uh, look at this passage, I want to start with with a story that really stuck out um, to me years ago when I heard it. Um, probably two, maybe three years ago, I was listening to a sermon, one of my favorite preachers that I enjoy listening to. And he was talking about this um, th- this mission trip, he had an opportunity to go on. I forget what country, far, far east, um, a country where um, Christianity is very minimal, um, uh, not a lot of believers in that area. And um, on this mission trip, he met, he met a, a gentleman um, who was a believer, and they got talking together, and, and he asked this um, native believer in that country, he said, you know, you know tell me your story. Like, like, I know that there's very few Christians in this country, in this city. How, like, how did you become a believer? How, how did this happen? And he began to tell the story about when he was nine years old. So I, I, I checked my math on this. I believe nine years old is third grade. So, as a third grader, nine years old, um, he's at kind, kind of like a church revival event of sorts. Here's the gospel. Um, here 's about Jesus that Jesus has come he 's died on the cross for your sins he 'll forgive you, and that in him there's eternal life in heaven and as a nine year old he he got it as a nine year old his his heart was changed and and very excitingly he trusted in Christ as his savior and then as a nine year old he went directly home and began to share this very very exciting news with his father and and began to tell him more about Jesus. And, and after the son talked to his father about Jesus, nine years old, mind you, the father looked at him and he said, either, re, either reject Jesus or get out. And nine years old, nine, I don't even know what I was doing at nine years old. He leaves the home, and 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 he tells the story. He says, you know, I, I can remember like it was yesterday. It was it was pouring down rain, and as a nine year old, I'm am just standing outside of the house. I don't know where to go. And, and my father takes some of my clothes and just and just throw just throws them out in the rain. And I just and I just I just stood there soaking wet. And I and I left. And I remember when I heard that. So I can remember where I was. I'm, I'm, I'm in my backyard doing yard work, listening to that sermon. I remember where I was when I heard that because it struck me so, so deep. And, and two specific things struck me. You know, probably the obvious one was a nine-year-old. A nine-year-old comes to an understanding. A nine-year-old comes to a point where he realizes Jesus is, is better. That, that what we have in Jesus, forgiveness of our sins, we've got lots of them, um, an eternal life in heaven... And, and then this, this living relationship with the Son of God, the, the God who created heaven and earth, you and I, we have a relationship. We are, we are children of God. And this nine-year-old God that I love my dad, I love my family, but there's actually something better, Jesus. Side note, and this is not my point, this is why we take um, if someone said, what is the most important ministry at the Mission Church, we would not say every single one of them. We would say children's ministry, plain and simple. That's our, that's our vision, that's our passion, and if you're here and you're like, I don't have children, maybe I'm at the wrong church, ain't wrong. Because us as parents, we need y'all who, who've walked through the fires and, and know how to discipline your children or learned how not to discipline your children. But, but our heartbeat here, heartbeat here at the Mission Church is, is several things. But one of the biggest things, the biggest things that we have a heart on is we want the next generation to be inflamed for Christ. Because I'm going to get older and I'm not always going to be the pastor here at the Mission Church. You're going to get older. You're not going to be in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s. You're going to get older and there's going to be another generation that's going to come and is going to lead this church. And I want you and I to be playing a massive role in seeing those three-year-olds, those five-year-olds, those nine-year-olds discipled now so they when they turn 19, when they turn 20, they're going to say, Zach, get out of the pulpit. Zach, it, it, it's time for us to lead, and I hope that we will be at the point of going, yes, yes. And, and I, that, that was all for free. I didn't even mean to say that. But, but what stands out is this nine-year-old. Oh, how I want my child at a very, this is my prayer for my child every day. God, at a very young age, turn their heart to you. They would be inflamed for you. And this nine-year-old got it. Jesus is better. Like I wonder if you're not nine. Clearly, maybe you're 19, 29, 39, 49. You're somewhere around there. I I, I just want to ask you that question. That's not the main point of my message, um, but but I just want to start here. Um, Is Jesus better to you than everything? Is is Jesus better than your family? Is Jesus better than your friends? Is Jesus better than money? Is Jesus better than that car? Is Jesus Is Jesus better to you? And we need to answer that question because I promise you you will get to a point where one or all of those things will be taken away from you. And if Jesus is better, you'll walk in joy. If Jesus is better, you go take the car, take the house. Lord, I want my family, but if you take them, you are sufficient. And this nine year old got it. Jesus Jesus is sufficient. I wonder if you believe that. And and the next thing that just kind of blows my mind, but yet excites me about this nine year old, is he hears about Jesus, and his first inclination is I got to go tell, I got to share. And so he goes home and he and he shares his his faith with with excitement and and with joy. And I share this story. I share this story to point out something that frankly it doesn't need pointing out. To point out something that you know very, very, very well. But I want to point it out anyways. I share this point to to draw us to this reality that we know full well. Namely, that for you who call yourselves Christians, maybe you came in here, you don't know Jesus. We are glad you are here. This church is here for you. But for those of you who are Christians, here's what you know and realize. It is a lot easier not to live your faith and not to share your faith. It can be costly, clearly nowhere near to the same cost as, as this nine-year-old for most of us, if not all of us. But to point out this reality that it can be costly for you to go and live and to go and share your faith. In fact, it would be a lot easier, it would be a lot more comfortable of a life and a lot less messier if, if we just kind of believed what we believed about Jesus, kept it in here. Maybe we let it out in safe environments like, like Sunday mornings and, and maybe community group. But, but it would be a lot easier if we just believed what we believed about Jesus and didn't necessarily live it and definitely didn't share it. It would just be easier. Just be way more comfortable. And last week, if if you were here, we launched and and shared with you guys our vision, our heartbeat for 2017. And and what happened is our elders and our staff, we got together and and we just said, okay, guys, if there's one thing. If there's one thing we feel like God's calling us to, if, there's, if maybe there's one major weakness at the mission church that we, that we need to strive faithfully and pursue faithfully, that, that hopefully by God's grace it would become a strength, if there's one thing that we can zero in on, what is it? If there's one thing for 2017 we want to throw all of our energy, all of our prayers, all, all of our faithfulness towards, what is it? And we came up with something And last week, if you were here, we, we looked at a passage in Matthew chapter 9 that points us to this vision. And in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, if you remember, was hanging out with really bad people. He was hanging out with a bunch of sinners. He was hanging out with people who didn't believe what you're supposed to believe and didn't do what you're supposed to do. And he's not just hanging out with them. He's eating with them. He's engaging with them. He's investing in them. He's pouring himself into them. And, and, and then the religious leaders who believed what you're supposed to believe about God show up, confront Jesus, and say, Jesus, Jesus, you're like supposed to be this good, righteous teacher, and you're hanging out with them. Like, like, like do you know what you're doing? And do you remember what Jesus said? I, w- I want to read it verbatim. Jesus said this, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Don't miss this. For I came, that's a purpose statement. Jesus says, that there's a reason why I'm here. There's a reason why I came. There is a purpose why I'm here. Here it is. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus said, th- this is why I'm here. Like it or don't like it, this is my purpose. I came because there's some bad people, there's some lost people, there's some hurting people, there are people who don't know God and are lost and are dead in their sins and I've come to save them. And and so we as a church, we as elders, we as staff, we, we just said, okay, all right. If this is what Jesus came to do, shouldn't we be doing it? If this is what Jesus was and did and was his purpose for coming, sh- shouldn't it? Shouldn't it be our 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 purpose too? And and so we put it this way. As, as we prayed and as we um talked for literally hours, we just said, okay, we really feel like God is calling us. To be a community, if there's one thing that we can faithfully pursue, faithfully pray for in 2017 is that we would be a community, and, and, and that, that sounds very plural, and it is, but I wanna get very singular here, and I wanna talk about you, that you, as an attender of the mission church, as, an, as a member of the mission church, that you and I would lovingly invest in the lost people in our lives, and then step up and have the courage to invite them. That sounds very anticlimactical. I mean, like this is our vision. Just go lovingly invest and courageously invite. But it's a big one. And it's one that is just far more comfortable not doing, right? It's just way easier not doing, right? It's way less messier if we just leave, you know, just I want to work is work and God is God and I you know, I got I got my workplace but that you and I would do what Jesus came to do, that we truly would lovingly invest and that we truly would have the courage to invite the lost people in our life, invite them to church, because I promise they'll hear about the love of Jesus here, to maybe invite them just to have a spiritual conversation. Hey, what do you believe? Hey, what's what's your background? But that we like, we would just... We would actually do what what Jesus came to do. And if you read the very end of the book of Matthew and Luke and Mark and the beginning of Acts, Jesus pretty much says the same thing over and over again. Hey, now it's your turn. Now you guys go. That that we would actually go and do this. We would actually go and live this. And so last week, if you were here, we, we really talked about the why behind this. Why this? Why this vision? And our answer was quite simple, because this is what Jesus came to do, so let's just go do it. This week, I want to talk about the how. So we're going to get pretty practical here, but I want to talk about how, because um, I think one of the reasons why it is so uncomfortable, and it is difficult, um, and it would be easy if we just didn't share our faith, if we didn't just talk about this Jesus or about God uh, amongst unbelievers, is because I-, I don't want to say we live in a hostile Culture, but I would say pretty confidently that, that we, we do live in a culture that, that, frankly, for the most part, is not receptive. That it is a bit scary for us to step out, lovingly invest, and then that courageously invite part is, is especially difficult in, in our culture, is it not? I, I really believe that in the past three, maybe four decades, Christianity, um, the perception of Christianity has cycled through about three different um, perceptions. I would say about, you know, three decades ago, four decades ago, um, if, if, you know, when you think of Christianity, you look at Christians, oh, Christian, that's of great value. I mean, the principles of Christianity that's what our nation is built upon. So, you know, three, four decades ago, you, you're a Christian? Okay, great value. Somewhere along the line, the perception changed. Oh, you're a Christian. You're kind of a hypocrite. This is what I grew up. This is the generation I grew up. I, so many times, I heard that, Christian, hypocrite, Christian, hypocrite. I remember having a conversation with a gal when I was traveling through Europe, and she was an American, and she figured out I was a Christian, and, and, and her first words to me were, oh, you're a Christian. I hate Christians. And, and I said, okay, careful, let me step back. Why? And her answer is very simple. Oh, you're a bunch of hypocrites. I dated a Christian. I know what you do on Sunday, but then I also know what you do Monday through Saturday, hypocrite and and i could be wrong um i think i'm right at least in the northwest now if you go to texas you go to you know um the middle part of america which i've never been to and i have no desire frankly um but but if you go you know the midwest i don't even know what it's called it's the middle of america uh, somewhere um Christianity, I, I think, really is going through a shift where we are no longer, you are no longer, Christianity is no longer Christian, you're a hypocrite. Now, I really believe, for the most part, this is the perception, it might not be the reality, it is the perception, Christian, oh, you're intolerant. And, and, and so, I really do think that it is difficult and it is um, a stretch for you and I to live, and to share our faith. It it really is. And and in some contexts, it can be risky. It it, it can be risky. And so, I want to talk about how. how. How do we lovingly invest and courageously invite in the midst of our culture? And I'm going to sound very cliche here, but... This is usually the answer. Let's just look at what Jesus did. Because I think that he gives us a pretty amazing roadmap by the way that he did this. So in John chapter 1, verse 14, John the Apostle writes this. And it's helpful to know that John, uh, this is the last of the four Gospels that that was written. Um, This was written to... um, Uh, a generation of people that probably never lived during the time of Jesus. John was a very old man when this was written. He was a very young man, you could argue a boy, when he was called by Jesus. And so, um, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who were writing to audiences where a good portion of the people had lived during the time of when Jesus had lived and so probably at least had heard of Jesus, if not had seen Jesus... John is writing altogether to a completely different audience, to to people who'd never lived during the time where Jesus was living. And, And John says this. I'm just going to point out one verse. There's so much here. I'm just going to zero in on the last part. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus was in heaven, and he came down fully God and also became fully man. So, Jesus was fully God and fully man. And he came down and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. So, John, remember, he's, he's talking to a bunch of people who never saw Jesus, probably. And he says, We've seen him. And when he says we, he's, he's saying, me, me, me and my boys, me and my disciples, most of them, if not all of them, are dead at this point. He so said, We actually saw him, we saw his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Now listen to this. This is where I want us to go. Full of grace and truth. This is the secret. And I want us to dissect this for a second because I think there's something interesting here. It says Jesus was full of grace and truth. So he wasn't 50% grace and then 50% truth. No, 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 no. 100% grace, 100% truth, 100% of the time. It wasn't as if he was like, okay, in this moment, 100% grace. Uh, in this moment, 100% truth. No, 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 no. In this moment, 100% grace and 100% truth. Always, 100% grace, 100% truth, truth all the time. Now, you might not see it here, but let's look a little closer. We're going to talk a bit about the anatomy of grace and truth, but I hope you do see there is a bit of a tension here between being fully grace and fully truth at the same time. Because let's think about this. Grace is, you're forgiven. Truth is, no, there needs to be justice. Grace is, you know what, you know, just let it go. Truth is, no, there needs to be accountability. This is where it gets real. Grace is what you want when you get caught getting in trouble. Truth is what you want when you catch someone getting in trouble, specifically if they're doing something against you. Can I get an amen? Bring the truth when someone harms you. Bring the grace when you get caught harming another. Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. I think we get a lot of help when we see this in action. Now, we could probably go to, I don't know, you probably go to a dozen different places in Scripture where this is seen very, very clearly, where Jesus interacts with another and you go, okay, full of grace, wait, he's also full of truth. And so I want us to go to John chapter 8 and look at the anatomy of grace and truth. And look at, how, like how do we actually live this out? How do we actually live out this full of grace and full of truth? Because here's the reality. We, we typically choose one or the other. If we're on Facebook, we typically roll with truth. Yeah? Or we watch other people roll with truth and we roll our eyes but then we keep screening down the page and judge those who made the stupid comments. But, Then we'll choose grace, maybe in a circumstance where you could use some grace. But Jesus is both at the same time. Look at this passage, John chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 2. Early in the morning, he, this is speaking of Jesus, Jesus came again to the temple, and the people came to him. And he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, so these are the, the religious people. These are the truth people. These are the people who say, here's the truth, boom, live it. These are the truth people. And the truth people show up. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to Jesus... Oh, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? So let's, let's gather our attention to this scene. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Jerusalem the most centrally populated area in all of Israel. And he's teaching in the temple. I think it would probably be a better guess to say that there's closer to thousands of people than hundreds of people. And they're gathering in to to listen to Jesus, hear him teach. And as he's teaching these religious leaders who, who man, they love truth. And man, do they know truth? They come in and they don't like Jesus because he's also been dispensing grace with a significant amount of authority. Been been giving grace in the name of God. And the religious leaders are going, "Whoa, whoa, 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 what about this truth, 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 truth. And so they got Jesus now. Oh, they got him. They've just found a woman, it says, caught in the act of adultery. And they bring her in, and now you might go, where's the man? Jesus could have totally addressed that, and I think completely slammed him at the moment, but he doesn't. And I think it, it, we do have to draw our attention to that situation. Uh, this, this is for free. Um, uh, a, a, a gentleman in our church who, who works in the Department of Psychology, he pointed this out to me, and it has changed the way that I think about things. Um, th- this woman comes in, and it, we can quickly go, adulter, adulter. But we don't know who the man was. It, it very well could have been that this man had a position of, some kind of authority. It it very well could have been that this woman could have maybe been forced. Probably not, but could have. We don't know her circumstance. And I remember a a gentleman in our church, he told me this, and and I think he was quoting something from a book, Um, um, but he said this. He said, if you understand everything that that person that is driving you crazy or doing crazy stuff or saying stupid stuff, if you understood everything that is going through their mind, if you understood everything that has happened to them in their life, all of a sudden the stupid, crazy, ridiculous stuff that they're doing would actually make sense to you too. I think that's just kind of helpful because I do think often we're like, adulterer, divorcee, sinner, cheater, beater. I mean, we, we just, just name all of these, drunkard. We, we can name all of these things, and yeah, truth, truth, truth. But, but we need to understand, they don't have the past that you have. It doesn't make it right, but just understand, you, you, they don't have the past that you have. And and we got to start there. We don't know what's going on with this woman, and and yet, yet she comes in. They drag her in. Probably has some sort of clothing on. We, we like, we don't even know how much. Caught in the act. I have to imagine she's weeping. I have to imagine as they bring her in, the crowd starts to get a little bit larger, and they drag her to the center of this circle. Jesus is probably sitting, teaching, and, and the truth people come. And they say, Jesus, according to the law, you know, the Old Testament, the, the truth, Moses said we're supposed to stone this woman because she committed adultery. Was that true or not true? You can be a talking church. Tr- tr- true. According to the law, Moses said stone such a woman. And they bring in and they say, all right, truth time, Jesus. Moses says we should stone her. What, what do you think we should do? Clearly, they've, they've put him in a, a corner of this is the truth. Jesus, we have no idea what he's doing here, bends down and, and he just starts writing in the sand. Nobody knows what he's writing in the sand. You could probably read some pretty crafty papers that some you know, theology doctorates might write, and, and at the end of them all, they'll say, yeah, we don't even know. We just don't even know. And it says that the religious leaders, they keep asking Jesus, they're pestering him. And he's just all the while kneeling down. The crowd's getting larger and larger. Maybe some people are starting to pick up stones around them. And Jesus is kneeling down. And the the religious leaders, the truth people are going, Jesus, what is it? What is it? What is it? And the woman somewhere is around in this circle, weeping. Weeping. Let me ask you this question. It's easy for us to insert ourselves into this position and make the right decision because we just can read the next verse. Any of you have a friend who committed adultery? Any of you know someone dear to you that that had adultery committed upon them? Maybe you are a victim of adultery. Maybe you were a participant of adultery. What did you do in that circumstance? What did you do? What did you say? What did you think towards the parties involved? I think that you could take different situations on here, not, not just adultery. Talk about theft. You could talk about just an over sense of pride. You could talk about that person you know who is just, they're just horrible. What do you do, what do you think when the people you rub shoulders with are way off in left field sinning or are wrong or just being horrible. I'll play. My natural inclination is y'all need a dose of truth. My natural inclination is, wait a second, I've got 40 minutes on a Sunday morning where I can go off on truth. It's a dangerous game to play. But what I want you to wrestle with is, what do you do with the people in your life who are clearly in the wrong, and you know the truth? Let's look at what Jesus does. And they continued to ask Jesus, And Jesus stood up, and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, okay. All of you in here who've never committed lust in your heart, all of you in here who've never gossiped, never really had a problem with pride, All of you who just don't have any sin in your life, pick up that stone and just throw it as hard as you can at her. You might call that grace, by the way. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones. And I, this, is, this blows my mind. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. I have to imagine there's got to be some people like 50 yards off or maybe hiding behind a pillar. What's going like, to happen? But what we do know for sure is in the immediate vicinity, it's Jesus and this sinful Adulterous woman. Jesus stood up and he said to her, woman, now, pause here. This was a term of endearment. It's literally, miss, ma'am, miss, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, I have to imagine fighting through her tears. No one, Lord. And Jesus said, the Son of God says, neither do I condemn you. You don't get more grace than that. I think that there are two kinds of grace. Grace in the dictionary is defined as unmerited favor. That's grace. I don't know what else to call the second kind of grace. I'll let you name it. We'll just call it this. Um, I actually did have a name for it, but I didn't write it down. Maybe it'll come to me. Jesus doesn't just give her unmerited favor. What does she deserve? Let's go back, 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 and you can read what the truth was in that culture and in that law. What did she deserve? Just say it out loud. Death. So not only does Jesus give her what she doesn't deserve, but he holds back what she deserves and, and, and gives her abundantly more. So, so put it this way. Uh, imagine, okay, a lot of you, you got a mortgage. You got a ton of money to pay on this mortgage. I just choose not even to look at that sheet because it scares me a lot of money. And if you pay this off, you know, it's going to, you know, you're going to pay $100,000 in, you know, in, in interest over the next 30 years. That's encouraging. So you got this mortgage. And this is the best example I can give, and it's so much better than that. It's Jesus calling up the bank, and he doesn't just say, hey, the, 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 the debt is paid. He says, no, 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 I'm going to pay their debt, and I'm going to put so much money in their bank account, they, the, they will have sufficient funds for the rest of their life forevermore. That's what Jesus does here. He, he, he doesn't just say, let's call it even Stephen. instead of giving to her what she deserves, he goes far beyond that. I know that we dislike talking about what we deserve, but I do think that there is a, a particular health in it. Especially when we live in a culture that says, you deserve this and you deserve that. No, I deserve health. I'll be the first one to say it. And Jesus doesn't just say, okay, you're you're out of hell. No, no, no. He he doesn't just say, I forgive you of your sin. He says, I'm going to forgive you of your sin, and then I'm going to put the righteousness of God in you. And and if you're not a believer, this this is why the gospel is such great news, is because We deserve the worst of the worst and Jesus gave us the best of the best. Jesus came and he called sin, sin and then he went and he died for it. And I hope that, I hope that turns your heart into an emotional wreck of gratitude. And Jesus gives her Grace. Grace is unmerited favor. I truly believe that the greatest act of love you can give someone is grace. Because it's always unconditional. If it's conditional, it's not grace. We're talking about the how here. How- how do we break into the hearts of the people in our life that are lost grace? You give them unmerited favor. What I'm about ready to say next, I think is the most important part of of hopefully this sermon being life-changing for you because I'm gonna get very practical here. I would say the two most practical things that you can do in your life for reaching the lost, start the first one starts with this. You pull out, we made it easy for you. You just write down the people in your life that don't know Jesus. At the mission, we call it the seven for heaven. The seven people in your life that you want to see them go to heaven. And you just write them down. And I got my names, half of them, Work at the Starbucks barista, Starbucks that I that I go to and I interact with. Others I play basketball with. And I and I and here's where I start. I just pray for them. But what I pray for them most is this: God, give me an opportunity to give them grace. And and that would be step two. The best way you can lovingly invest in a lost person in your life, give them unmerited favor. Now, you're going to overthink that. You're going to go, okay, i got to wait for them to do something really stupid and then sweep it and give them grace. I was praying for a certain individual for over a year. God, give me an opportunity to give them grace. Give them, please, please. And then I get an email um, from this Particular gentleman, and uh, he he had sent it to me, and about I don't know six, seven, eight other guys, and he said, "Hey, I really I really need help. I'm doing some moving in my house. It's a two man job. Um, would any of you guys be willing to help?" I don't care who you are. There's nothing worse than moving things. Worst day of the world, moving day, moving day. And so, I like I. I love this guy. I care about this guy. He is very nice to me. He has never done anything in my life to deserve me going and helping him move. And I, I thank you, God, emailed him as fast as I can. I'm there. Not because like, okay, I'm, you know, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna grace him up so much. Gonna have no choice. No, 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 no. I just, I want this guy so badly to see the love of Jesus. And guys, the way that people see the love of Jesus is not by looking at the sky, but by looking at you. But are you showing it? And so I, I didn't go forcefully. I went with joy. I went with excitement. I went prayerfully. And so I went and it was an hour of moving. We got to talk. I got to talk about his life, Um, got to meet his wife, got to meet his kid, Um, got to talk about church. And and the next Sunday, he came to church. Sunday after that, he came to church. And And I'm still praying my heart out for this guy. But it starts with grace, guys. Pray that you would have the opportunity to give grace. Pray that the door would open. And let me, just, let me just help you. I'll just give you two very easy ones. The first one is this. For those of you who are in the working world, um, you, you probably eat lunch. You probably have a lunch break. Sometime this week, go to one of your coworkers and say, hey, can I, can I treat you to lunch? Unmerited grace. They probably did nothing to deserve you to pay $12 for their lunch. Take them somewhere good, by the way, okay? Um, and go sit down at lunch, and just, uh, here's where I like to start, Just tell me your story, and, and see what God does, because you've been praying for them, for, for weeks on end by the way, that's grace, or one of the other things, that I, I do, is I, I tell people, all the baristas at Starbucks, if you go there, they know I pray for them, because I tell them, I said hey, I'm I'm praying for you, or they'll tell me about, oh, my dad is in the hospital, I've got to go drive up here. I said, I'm praying for that. Just, Just tell them, I'm praying for you. People will tell you what's wrong. Tell them you're praying for them. And by the way, please pray for them, actually. Don't just say, I'm praying for you. Grace. But don't miss this. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus continues and says, go, and from now on, sin no more. Truth. He does speak truth. But but I want us to look at something real quick. Which comes first, grace or truth? Grace. And, and, And just read how Jesus interacts with unbelievers. Grace, truth, grace, truth, grace, truth, grace, truth. Always grace, then truth. Now, when he starts hanging out with believers and and, and religious leaders, he just goes, "Um, truth, 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 grace, truth, truth, just hammers with them with truth. But it starts with grace. It's very, very easy for us to start with truth because we're truth people. I'm, I'm a truth person. I love the truth. but it's got to start with grace. I really believe that your truth will only hold as much weight as the grace that you give. May we be ridiculous in grace. May we be scandalous in our grace because Jesus was. And Jesus reminds us that that if you know the truth, the truth will what? Set you free. And that's what I love about Jesus' truth here. He says, Go now, go and from now on sin no more. Truth here is not oppressive. It's it's freeing. Her her sin just about got her killed. Your sin, my sin, it is destructive but truth can set us free. Here's the most important thing you and I need to understand about truth. Truth is not simply a what, it's a who. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. That Jesus is our truth. And that when we speak truth, may it not focus so much on the what as it focuses on the who. And we've got some really controversial conversations in our culture that are going on. And, and people know Christians' truth. What the, the Bible says, well, you're intolerant if you believe what the Bible says. And when you look at Jesus, the answer is him. And so you are going to engage with some really controversial subjects. You're going to engage with people where you could simply quote a Bible verse. I won't give that one away. We could simply just go, well... Romans 1 says this, or we can just do that. May we instead give them Jesus. May we instead say, you know what? When you look at Jesus, Jesus interacted with this same sin. Jesus interacted with this same struggle. And and you know what Jesus did? He died for that. He, He died for that. And so may, when we speak truth, may it be the truth of Jesus. And so here, here's my challenge to you as we close. I want you to really wrestle with where you're at. Do you more quickly speak truth or do you more speak, quickly give grace? Where do you start? My next action item is this right here, that, that you... Would just begin praying for the seven people in your life. I just put, take these very seriously. And we're going to talk about these until you're, you're sick of it. But there's something to this. Pray for the people in your life. Pray. Don't just pray for their salvation. Pray, God, give me an opportunity to give them a ridiculous amount of grace. And then step up and do it. And See what God does. It will be incredible. I just have to close with this story, and I know I went way over, I think. I'm just not going to look at the clock. I started talking about this nine-year-old boy. His dad said, reject Jesus or get out, and he left. Nine-year-old grew up and he became a pastor And by the grace of God, got to see his own father come to know Christ. I share that story because it is costly for us to live and share our faith. But I hope you see that it is worth it. God is God and he can do what what he desires and he does. But he likes to use us. He likes to use nine-year-old boys to, to leave everything for the gospel. I think one of the biggest complaints that I get from Christians is, I just, I, I just don't feel like God, I just don't feel God working in my life. I just don't, I just, I want to experience God working through my life. I just feel, I just, I just want that. I don't say this because I'm trying to give grace, but I think I probably need to also give some truth to these people and say, you know why God might not be working through you? You know why you might not be experiencing God? Because you're really comfortable. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. You got to go. And then he concludes and says, for I am with you always. And we love to talk about Jesus is with me, Jesus is with me, Jesus is with me. And we can quote Matthew 28, verse 18, but may I remind you, verse 18 is there because it's assuming you're doing verse 19, go and make disciples. And I really think one of the reasons why we fail to see God work in us, through us, by us, for us, is because we're sitting down and really, really comfortable You want to see God work through you? Put yourself in a place where you have to have God work through you. And if he doesn't, you're done. What kind of church would we be if if we did this? I think that we would see God work in ways that we've never seen him work. Let's pray. Gracious Father, you are so good. You are so good to us. Father, I need courage. We need courage. Father, I just pray for every person in here that they would pick up the pen if they haven't and write down the names just right now write down the names of the people in their life. The friends, they might be family, they might be a Starbucks barista, they they might be people at work. Just write down those names and that they would pray pray for those names every single day. And that you would give us this week, this month, an opportunity to give lavishing grace to these people and that they would see you, Jesus, not us that you would get the glory in our grace, not us. We need courage, God. Instill in us courage to go out and lovingly invest and courageously invite.